we shall behold Him face to face. Our Savior and Lord, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture this morning that speaks of that time. I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. If you were with us last week, we began looking at this passage and noting just a few characteristics of believers who are living in anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. And there will be some things that will be true of us if we, were, if we are properly living in anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. And 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 28 and proceeding through chapter 3 and verse 3, speaks of those things and speaks of those characteristics. And we began to note them last week. I want you to look with me at verse 28 in 1 John chapter 2 as I read through chapter 3 in verse 3. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. In verse 1 in chapter 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. Bow your heads for a word of prayer, would you please? Father in heaven, We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the truths that we enjoy from Your Word that encourage us and instruct us and build us up. And Father, we pray that we would also be mindful of the the admonitions from Your Word, the reminders, the correction from Your Word, the instruction that we get that sometimes steps on our toes and reminds us that we're sinners and we need to live for You daily purify ourselves before You. And so, Lord, we ask that You would help us today to come with our eyes open, our ears open, our hearts open, ready to hear You speak to us through Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we began looking at this unit of text in chapters 2, verse 28, through chapter 3, verse 3 last week, we came to take note that believers are to live in anticipation of of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. This section of Scriptures, and some of you might go, why are you going right through that chapter heading and saying this is a unit that's actually a paragraph in the Scriptures? Don't be distracted by chapter the chapter 3 heading there. We came to this unit of text last week and began to look at it for signs, for characteristics of the, of the believer's life that is being properly lived in anticipation of the, of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we began to note several characteristics of those who truly are living in anticipation of the return of Christ. And I want you to note the three characteristics we saw last week. The first characteristic of believers who live in anticipation of Christ's return is that they abide in Him. If you are properly anticipating 
If you're looking forward to the day of Christ and His return, then you will abide in Him. What that means is that believers who abide in Christ, they cling to Christ. They are, they are clinging to Christ. They are living for Christ. They're looking forward to His return, and they're not clinging to earthly things. They're not fixing their minds on the earthly things. They're, they're fixing their minds on the things above. And they're fixing their minds on Christ. And they're living their lives for God's glory. And they are faithfully serving Christ and saturating their heart and soul and mind with God's Word. They are not people who are so earthly-minded they're no earthly good. They're so earthly-minded they are earthly good because they live in this world and they have their minds fixed on Christ and they are transformed by God and His Word. They abide in Christ. So people who are believers who are properly anticipating the return of Jesus Christ abide in Him. Also, characteristic of believers who live in anticipation of Christ's return is that they live with confidence. They live with confidence. Those who stay stay their mind and fix their mind on Christ and their heart and soul on God, who keep themselves in God's Word and faithfully obey and serve Him, can have confidence that they have no need to be ashamed on the day of the Lord's coming. We just read that, didn't we? As we looked at the passage here, Verse 28, John says, And now, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have what confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. So believers who are, who are abiding in Christ are going to abide in Christ in such a way that, that they make Christ the, the, the focal point of their lives. They live for God's glory. They live for Jesus Christ. And they are earthly good because they are God's people living here today to witness the power of Jesus Christ in this world today. And by the way, that's how we transform America. If we want America to be transformed, we had better be transformed. America will not be transformed if God's people are not changed and shaped by God's Word. So characteristic of believers who live in anticipation of Christ's return is that they live with confidence because they're abiding in Christ. And they have no need to be concerned about being ashamed when Jesus appears. And they stay their mind and their heart and their soul on God and, and God keeps their the, His Word alive in them using His Word in their hearts and souls and minds making and shaping them for His glory. But I want you to note something about this confidence that believers can have. It's not of themselves. This is not self-confidence. This is Christ-confidence, okay? This confidence finds its root in what Christ has accomplished through His taking away our sin and saving us from our own depravity and His working in us by His Holy Spirit's presence in believers, making and shaping us into an image of Christ's likeness and obedience. So believers live with confidence. That was number two. Number three, the third characteristic of believers who live in anticipation of Christ's return is that they practice righteousness. We learned back in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, that believers are strong for overcoming the evil one when the Word of God abides in them. And I noted earlier that abiding in Christ includes reading God's Word. You know, when you get into God's Word, God's Word gets into you and does something to you. When you abide in Christ and you abide in His Word, you will practice righteousness. 
And those who practice righteousness are obeying God's word. They will seek to obey God's word. And people will be able to identify you as a follower of Christ because you do what God's word tells you to do. It's amazing to me how unbelievers know the Bible so well and know what we should be doing and yet know we aren't doing what we should be doing and say of believers, they're hypocritical. I would go to church, some people say. I would go to church if, if those people who call themselves Christians would do what God's Word says, do, do what they, they're preaching. Shame on us if we don't obey God's Word, right? Shame on us if we're hypocritical and we say one thing and we do another. We practice righteousness. One of the characteristics of a believer who is properly anticipating the soon return of Jesus Christ is that they practice what God's Word says. And those are the first three characteristics of believers that we've seen in this passage. And and we're going to note a few more characteristics that that we're going to see in this section, this study, this brief series that I'm calling Anticipating the Return of Christ. But I want you to note what we learn from chapter 2 and verse 28. Look at verse 28 again. Because we need this reminder where it says in verse 28, And now little children abide in Him, so that when He appears we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. That tells me that there will be some believers who do shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Who are without confidence. Who aren't abiding in Christ. Who aren't practicing righteousness. That should not be said of us. But what we find in this reminder from John is that he says, And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we, John is including himself in this, and saying we believers had better get it right and live for God so that we don't shrink from him in shame at his coming. And what chapter 2 verse 28 tells me is that it's very possible to be found living without a care for the return of Christ at his return. Since John says to believers, abide in him. Stay with Him. Earlier, He says, I'm writing to you so that you won't sin. But if you do sin, which reminds us, we do sin, don't we? We have an advocate with the Father, the righteous Christ Jesus, for whom we ought to be very grateful, who forgives us our sins. And we are grateful. We are thankful. We ought to live with gratitude and obedience. But it is likely. It is possible. We need to guard our hearts against this. It is possible to be found when Jesus Christ returns not living for Him, not abiding in Christ, not living with the confidence that we could live with if we were practicing righteousness. But God's desire for us is that we live in such a way that we would have no reason to be ashamed at the return of Jesus Christ. And yet it's far too easy for us, though, to, to live as though the return of Christ won't be so soon. We live sometimes that way, don't we? That, well, you know, I don't think he'll come back today. I don't think he'll come back next week. Maybe not next month or next year or in the next decade. Sometimes we catch ourselves living as if the return of Christ won't be at any time soon. It couldn't possibly be any time soon. But the God's Word tells us to be ready because Jesus Christ could return at any moment. Not only that. But your time on earth could be cut short just like that, couldn't it? God's desire for us is that we live in such a way that we are ready, that we are not going to be ashamed at His return, that we will not be ashamed when we do meet Christ. But yet it's far too easy for for us to live in that way, that we're not concerned. We're We're not living with any sense of urgency in this world today for the return of Christ. 
Sometimes the, we live with the, you know, I'll get to it tomorrow attitude, right? I'll get to it. I'll live for Christ. I'll, I'll get to it. I'm just, you know, too busy today doing my own thing, enjoying my sin. But we ought not be the kind of believers that say they want to obey God's Word and they want to live a life for God's glory, but never never quite get around to it. Because, you know, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it later. I'll get to it, just not right now. Believers are to live daily. Daily in anticipation of the Lord's return for God's glory, not our own. We may pass away too before the Lord's return, but we are to live obediently in anticipation of the day that we will meet Christ. You see, at the moment that you pass away, you meet Christ. And the moment Christ returns, you meet Christ. And we will not want to be ashamed on that day. Not for a moment. You may stop and think, you know, I'm looking forward and I want you to look forward to the, to the return of Christ and to meeting Christ and that will be a glorious day. But what John is pointing out to us here is that it's possible that just for a moment you would be ashamed. Oh no, Christ is coming. I'm not living for Him. I don't want to be ashamed on that day. I don't want you to be ashamed on that day. John gives instruction and encouragement to believers to be prepared for the Lord's return. So let's come back to the Word here. And let's look at these marks, these characteristics of believers who are anticipating, properly anticipating the return of Christ. I want you to go back with me and I want to skip down to verse 3 in chapter 3. Look at, look at the beginning part of John chapter 3 and verse 3 where John says, and everyone who thus hopes in Him. I want you to know this whole section of verses from chapter 2 verse 28 to chapter 3 verse 3 is all about hope. It's all about the believer's hope. Believers who abide in Christ do so because their hope is in Christ. And believers who live with confidence have it because their hope is in Christ. And believers who practice righteousness do so because their hope is in Christ, not in themselves. But I want you to note what this hope is founded in. It's not in yourselves. What is it about Christ that makes believers hope in Christ? What is it about God that, that makes us hope in Christ? Go back up to verse 1 in chapter 3. And we're going to stay here in the first half of chapter 3, verse 1, for the remainder of our time this morning. Chapter 3, verse 1, just the first half. So what kind, uh, see what kind of love, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The fourth characteristic of believers who live in anticipation of Christ's return is that their hope is in the love of God. Because note the first word in verse 1. In chapter 3, verse 1, says, See? See? See what kind of love the Father has given to us. And see, this is where our hope is because we can see the love we can see the kind of love that the Father has given to us. We can see it. The King James Version uses the word behold. We can behold it. We can learn of it. We can take it in. We can soak it in. See? Behold? Look! Believers, you need to see and dwell on the love of the Father that He has given you. Don't pass over this quickly. 
see and be amazed as you observe and learn and understand the love of the Father. Give it your attention. Stop here for a moment. John says, see, or, or behold, or stop, look. And John gives instructions here to believers like I give instructions to my kids at times. And, and parents, you can identify with this. Sometimes I'll get in my kids' faces and I'll go, are you listening to me? Listen up! I go, turn off the television and look at me. <laughs> and if you get distracted, don't look at him. Look at me. I'm talking to you. Listen up. And John's saying that. John's going, listen up. Look at this. Take note. Behold. He's given us instruction that we ought to take heed to and listen to and, and take to heart and dwell on. This is one of those cases where we need to pay attention. We need to listen carefully. We need to take time to see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Now think about it for a moment. Could you imagine, many of you have probably gone to the Grand Canyon before. Can you imagine driving to the Grand Canyon and walking up, walk up to the Grand Canyon? Wow, that's impressive. All right, you ready to go home? Would you do that? Did you do that? Absolutely not. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I'd like to go someday. I've flown over at about 30,000 feet. And I looked out the window and went, wow, that's impressive. And, you know. But if I went to the Grand Canyon, I would walk up and I would look. And I would look. And I would want to take the tours. And I even hear some people take helicopter rides, right? Have you ever done that? And And get on... I've heard of some people who have gotten on mules before. Somebody's told me this before. A friend of theirs got on one of those mules and went down down into the canyon and would not come back up on that mule. And they had to get a helicopter for him, right? Somebody's t- I remember somebody telling me about this. Sorry, I can't remember who told me that. But I, I would want to go down on the mule, right, down into the canyon and look around and behold and look and soak it in. And so when I went home, I would never forget the Grand Canyon. This is a Grand Canyon. The love that God has for us, the love that God has given us. Believers who live in anticipation of Christ's return ought to be soaking in the beauty of God's love for them. They ought to be soaking it in. They ought to be enjoying it. You know why this is so important? I can't tell you how many times, even, even every week, I'm reminded by God's people how much we as a people need to be reminded of the love of God because we have concerns and we have burdens and we have heartache and we have hardship and there are things that confront us daily, if not if not weekly, if daily. And we need to, to soak in the love of God for us because we need to be reminded very often, sometimes frequently within the same day, we need to be reminded that, hey, wait a minute, God loves you deeply. This is a special kind of love that God has for His children. And He's not doing what's coming into your life right now. This is not for your harm. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to make you more like His Son. And we need to remember the love of God often, daily, throughout the day. And we need to know it. You see, believers who live in anticipation of Christ's return ought to be soaking in the beauty of God's love for them. And we should be growing more and more amazed at His love for us. You know, the more you realize you're a sinner, the more you become amazed that God loves you. And the more we understand God's love for us, the greater our awe and wonder is going to be. And the greater our desire to live holy and obedient lives. And that's critical, isn't it? 
And I think that's where we struggle sometimes with obedience and faithfulness to God is we just do not understand how deeply God loves us. Because if we did, we would live with awe and gratitude and some measure of a desire to obey because of His love. And those who do so, those who do live in obedience to God, will have no reason to be ashamed when Christ appears. Believers, we need to know that if you and I are going to see what kind of love the Father has given to us, we need to study His Word as well. You need to know that you're going to find out how much God loves you when you read His Word. It's easy for me to tell you. Just love, love to love, love to know the love of God. Love to learn of the love of God. But it's, it's a completely other thing for you to go home and you to open God's Word and you to start drinking it in. You need to do it. It's going to take some discipline on your part and my part to get into the Word to learn of the love of God. But that is where we need to go for it. Believers, we need to to learn and remember that if we're going to soak in God's love for us, we should be growing more and more amazed by His love. We need to get into the Word. We need to study His Word and know what He has revealed to us of His love. Because, Because throughout the fabric of Scripture is woven the love of God. From start to finish, the love of God is throughout God's Word. And God's love, just to give you a few descriptive terms for God's love, God is love, for one thing. He defines love. We don't define love. Sometimes we try. The world tries to define love. But God is love, and He's the one who defines real love. God's love is also steadfast. It's immovable. It will not change. It's also eternal, which is a wonderful reminder to us for people who aren't eternal. And our emotion, our emotions go up and down and up and down even throughout the same day. God's love is steadfast and eternal. Those truths ought to be precious to us. Listen to Psalm 26 verse 3 that says, For your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. That ought to be a reminder to us to get the steadfast love of God before our eyes and we do so by getting into the Word. And then to walk in those truths and walk in His faithfulness toward us. Psalm 36, verse 7 says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. This is why you and I need to know all about the love of God and we need to learn of it from His Word because there are often times we need to be shadowed under the mighty wings of God, don't we? And yet, if we're deficient in understanding God's love for us, we could tend to think, God doesn't love me, He hates me, and He's just trying to destroy me, and this is just going to be a terrible day, and this is going to be a terrible week, a month, a year, if you know if things don't go my way. If you forget the love of God, you begin to think that way, don't you? It's easy for us. It's, it's easy for all of us to be drawn into that kind of a thought life if we don't stop and remind ourselves and kind of nudge ourselves, wait, 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 wait. You know, it's natural for us to begin to think that way and to despair at times and be discouraged and downhearted. It's natural, natural for us to go that way. But if you have the love of God in your heart and your soul and your mind because you've been feeding on it from God's Word, God's Holy Spirit does a work in you, kind of nudges you. Don't forget, Kevin. <laughs> Don't forget, God loves you. And yeah, this is hard. He's trying to make you more like Jesus. He's trying to conform you to His image. So so you can bear it because He's not going to give you anything that He hasn't given you the strength to bear up under. God loves you. I need those reminders daily. Do you need those? I think you do. So we need to go to God's Word. 
And we need to remember that if we're going to know what God's love is about and what it's like and how to enjoy it, we need to go to God's Word for the definition of God's love. And it's throughout. A second reason for the hope of believers to be in the love of God is seen in the kind of love that we've been given by the Father. We can see it. There's also a certain kind of love that we've been given by the Father. And it's because of the kind of love that we can experience through Christ that we can have great hope. And believers who are properly anticipating the return of Jesus Christ hope in the love of God because of the kind of love that it is. Look at verse 1 again in chapter 3 where it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. This kind of love is great. God's love is far different than that of the world. It's, it's far different from what the world calls love. I like the remarks of John MacArthur here. He says the following about the word from the Greek translated kind used in verse 1. He says, you would use it when you wanted to express the idea that this was foreign, this was alien, It would be used to describe something that was so abnormal and unnatural that you would say, what country did that come from? What planet did that drop in from? Something completely foreign, something that has an origin completely outside of our world. I want you to consider the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what MacArthur is saying here. This is an unworldly kind of love. This is out of this world. The world would not define love this way. I want you to think about the fact that while we were still Christ's enemies, He died for us. Think about the fact that God sent His Son, His only Son, to die on the cross, a cruel and agonizing death for His enemies. Because you were not friends with God before you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ. You were His enemy. That's what God's Word says. And before we reconciled to God through the death of Jesus Christ... We were alienated from God. God's Word describes us as His enemies prior to salvation. And this this love that God gives to us through Jesus Christ is completely foreign to our natural human way of thinking. You know, the way we think enemies are to be defeated, right? Our natural inclination from the inside out is enemies are to be defeated. Think back to 2001, September the 11th. What was the natural inclination of many in our nation? Hmm. Well, we've got some enemies, don't we? Well, let's make sure they find out we still exist and we're going we're gonna to give it to them, right? That's the kind of the overwhelming attitude that wells up from, up from within us. And I think it's right to defend ourselves as a nation, but as believers in Jesus Christ, the kind of love that God shows us as His children is far different than our human way of thinking. Our human way of thinking causes us to say, I have an enemy, I'm going to take care of that enemy. And God's way of taking care of us, His enemies, was to send His Son to die for us. That's overwhelming. That's the love and mercy and grace of God. And this love that God gives to us through Jesus Christ is completely foreign to our natural human way of thinking. Because, you know, in our way of thinking, we say enemies, they've got to be defeated. But God said, no, no, I'm not going to defeat you. I'm going to defeat my son. I'm going to send my son to the cross for you so that he conquers your sin and he conquers death and hell and the grave for you because you can't do it. God so rich in mercy, 
loved the world so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross and bear the punishment for sin so that we could be made right with God, so that we could be reconciled to God. His love is so deep that He offers us salvation. It's a free gift. And there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And what that means is that there is no condemnation, there is no penalty, there is no punishment for those who have repented of their sin and believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're in Christ. And God takes His enemies, and through the death of His Son, He makes them His children. We don't do that with enemies as human beings, do we? Do we adopt our enemies? That's what Jesus did with His shed blood. God sent His Son so that we could be God's children through the blood of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn with me for a moment. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Toward the beginning of the New Testament. Romans chapter 8. And I want you to look at a passage with me that is an absolutely beautiful description of this great love that God has for us. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to begin with verse 31, and I want you to follow along with me as I read through verse 39. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Verse 33 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised. Who is it at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? And verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The love of God is beautiful, isn't it? The love that God gives to us is amazing, isn't it? It is so undeserved. There's more here in verse 1 about the hope of believers in the love of God given to them. We're going to come back to that next time, but let's pray this morning, remembering the love of God for us as we see here in the Word. Father, we thank You. We thank You as we come to Your Word and find these precious reminders of Your love for us and the depths of Your mercy toward us, that You would love us. That You would love us is amazing. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that You would give us a fresh perspective on the depths of God's love for us that He gave to us 
through His Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, please help us to see Your love for us. Help us to understand it. Help us to go to Your Word often, to read Your Word, and help us to have eyes that see the love of God for us. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the hope that it gives us, the encouragement, the upbuilding up and uplifting that we need from it. We also thank You for the, for the reminders that we need to live for Christ, that we need to live for God's glory daily, that we would not be ashamed at the return of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to live daily in anticipation of the soon return of Jesus Christ to anticipate with great hope and confidence and joy and faithfulness our hope in, in the love of God for that day of Christ's return. Lord, help us to be believers in this church and outside of this church and in this community and in many communities represented in this service this morning. Help us to be the kind of believers who live in such a way that the love of God is obvious in our lives. And it opens people's eyes to the truth. Do a work in them through your love in us, Lord, I pray. Use us as your church. Use us as your people. God, I pray for those who may be unbelievers this morning to realize their need to repent of their sin today in prayer, just simply going to you in prayer and asking you to forgive them of their sins because they cannot Earn your forgiveness is a free gift through Jesus Christ. Lord, help them to realize that truth that they need to confess their sin and then believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life and complete forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.